Today's episode is the last of the season and is the second part of my conversation with my sister Natasha. We talk about the drive to control her body and the development of an eating disorder, the hope and anxiety of recovery, learning to be okay with being uncomfortable sometimes, and what faith might look like now. This is Through a Glass Darkly, the podcast about following Jesus while living with a mental illness. Yeah, so obviously an incredible level of anxiety in pretty much all aspects of your life, unfortunately. And then, yeah, we get into your teenage years, and then what happens? So uh, it's hard to know, like, where it really began, Um, but I somehow think that I, like, funneled this it was almost like just something different to focus on. I became like, I'm going to put all my focus into the way that I look and like my body, as opposed to any of these other like things that I'm going to worry about. Um, so sorry, I, when you say focus, you mean worry, like I'm going to, f- I'm going to focus right. all of my concerns and energy, Actions, everything. Yes. Okay. Everything is going to go into this. And I think it was like twofold, like that was one part of it. And then I think the other part was like this whole piece around, like, I didn't feel like I was like good enough as like a Christian or whatever it might be. And this was like a way that I was going to be like good enough, not in necessarily like as a Christian, but just, this was going to give me that sense of like, I, um, like affirmation of like me being good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it all right. became, and I, did you, yeah. in your mind, was that going to come from outside? Like you, you were going to make yourself look a certain way. And so other people outside of you were going to say, oh, wow, she's so pretty. Or like boys would notice you, or was it more internally, you were going to say to yourself, like, yes, this is one thing at least I can accomplish, or I can, I can do well at, or that's within my control or maybe a combo of the two. I think it was a combo of the two. I definitely wanted like the external validation, but I think at the same time I was like, oh, look, it's something I'm good at. Like I'm good at, you know, controlling my body or like, you know, being whatever. Cause at the time I was running. So it was like, I can just run and run and run. And like, then it slowly became, that became part of like controlling my body. And so it was all kind of tied together as like, this is what people are going to like know me for um, and I'll be noticeable or whatever. Right. Okay. Sorry. Continue. It was just, yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, someone with anxiety and already obsessive compulsive like behaviors, of course, I'm not going to do anything halfway. I'm going to do it all the way. And that slowly spiraled into like a very bad eating disorder. Yeah. It's hard for me because I honestly don't remember a lot of that period of time. I remember like leading up and then kind of like after coming out, but a lot of that part is like, like blacked out to me, um, which makes sense because Mm -hmm. my brain probably wasn't functioning fully. But I think also when that happened, um, it was kind of a relief because I didn't have to think 
Like I was just numb. Oh, when the, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So when I was really sick, I was just numb Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have anxieties. Like I did about food, I guess, but in a sense, I was so out of it that like I didn't. And so it was almost like as much as it wasn't a relief, it was a relief because I Mm -hmm. didn't have to feel anxious or bad or anything really. So just like my own experience of it, because how old would you say you were when I was trying to figure out the timelines of it when, when it kind of like really developed into. I was like 16. I think I was in grade 11. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was like 21, 22. So I was still sort of living at home sometimes, but then I also moved out for a couple semesters anyways. Yeah. So like my, my experience of it was yeah, like, like a very, very obsessive, not surprisingly fixation with like quantity of food mm-hmm. for sure. A almost like, I, I remember, and I don't know how often it happened, but like a very intense emotional reaction when you had felt like you'd eaten too much. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember there being like really, really intense you you were like panicked almost like I would not almost I think you were panicked and like furious almost that yeah that it had happened or it's weird because I really like I do not remember it yeah. sounds right like I'm I'm sure it happened and I can like I can remember it more like when I was getting help after right during I don't I don't really remember but I remember being furious about the exercise portion of things Um, which was also like a very big compulsion. So I remember like I was using the exercise bike that we Mm -hmm. had and then mom and dad cut the, the, the belt for it so that I couldn't use it and being like livid and and anxious. Like, like I was freaking out because what was I going to do? Yeah. Which totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was hard. Again, because I'm I am fuzzy on timelines. What would you say was the length of time that you were kind of at your sickest, if you were before? Yeah, because I don't even remember like how treatment started, which we'll get to. But probably like like I want to say like six months, maybe. Like it was not a long time. It kind of like really spiraled really quick, Mm -hmm. and then I was like told I need to go here and like gain weight. Yeah. Cause I feel like you were very close to hospitalization. I was. Yeah. Like a week away. They were okay. like, you don't gain weight in this week you're going. And right. somehow I did gain like a pound or something. So I didn't have to go, but right. yeah, it was like, it was, it was close to happening. That's for yeah. sure. So who, like who said, if you don't gain in a week, were you the program? You, oh, okay. So you were in a program at that point. Yeah. Like mom made me go, mom okay. made me well, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was 16. So there wasn't really like a lot I could do. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. So they were like, this is what's happening or you're going to like, you're getting admitted. Right. And I don't think I really cared to be honest, but somehow I gained weight and didn't have to go, but yeah, right. it was close. So that, that whole thing around treatment, um, like I know, yeah, you're 16, so you can't, you, you can't really say no, but like, how did, how did you understand that? Was it just like, 
did did you see i guess that there was a problem did you did you not care because i mean in a sense it was working for you because yeah like you were numb and so you weren't feeling anxious um i think i didn't care like i knew that it wasn't like healthy i guess mm-hmm. um but i didn't care like i i don't know you become so like wrapped up in this is what i'm doing like i need to do this and i need to look this way that like it doesn't nothing else really matters so that was my focus was like, I don't care. Right. I'm just going to do what I think I need to do. To, to look a certain way though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was there, was there like a self-destructive streak to it? Was there a part of you that was like, yeah, like, like a self-hatred type thing or anything um, like that? I mean, I think I definitely like didn't like myself. That's why I thought I needed to like constantly change the way that I looked but mm-hmm. I don't think that like the behaviors themselves were like I'm going to do this to be hurtful to myself right it was like I'm going to do this because I need to change me who's not good enough right this may seem like a stupid question but in when you would when you would look at yourself were you was that like an attractive I guess were you like happy with the results like did, did it actually change your body in a way that made you think like, okay, yeah, this is, this will get me the outside affirmation that partly this is what it's about. Um, no, because it's never enough. Right. And I don't think that like you can see yourself how you are at the time. Like you're just like so ill because like looking back at myself now, I'm like, oh my God, like, why would I want to look like that? But Mm -hmm. at the time, it's almost like over time, it just wasn't, it wasn't even like, I wasn't even like looking at myself anymore. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just like, I need to lose weight. I need to not gain weight. And it was like, that just became the focus. Um, no matter what, like I almost wasn't even like looking, it was just, I need to do this. Which I guess would kind of make sense with the, like comparing it with the obsessive compulsive part where it is, I think at some level it is about, you know, like the washing your hands, it is about being clean from germs, but I feel like at some point it just kind of flips and it's just actually about washing your hands. Like it's not even, right. you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's just the compulsion. It's like, this helps me feel less anxious right now. So like I would have so much anxiety about gaining weight that like, I need to do all these things so that I don't gain weight. Right. Um, and almost like lose sight of the actual like what I'm doing and like what your body would look like if you gained weight. Yeah. I just convinced myself it was bad. Right. So, so you go into treatment then, and I know there's like lots of different phases of that and stuff, but I guess overall, and like for whatever frame of time you want to take this as like, what, what were some of the most helpful parts of treatment, I guess that like really helped you I don't know, understand more of, of what it was you were doing or start to address some of the underlying causes of it. Honestly, looking back, this is so funny because I've had this conversation with many people about like, well, you know, what did you do? Like, how did you get past this? And like, I honestly don't feel like treatment was helpful at that time. Like I don't remember anything from treatment as being helpful or, um, yeah. Or making sense to me. Like, I don't feel like I addressed anything 
that mm-hmm. was underlying. It was like, I just gained the weight because I needed to. And then that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly, like over time, other things just became a part of my life that I didn't like focus it on it as much. I will say like it never went, it was never like not a part of my life. Like this mm-hmm. idea of like what I look like or what I need to look like. Um, it just became less so, or in different ways, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like at that time or in like the years following that really anyone really like helped me. They tried, I guess, like they tried. I went to like, I had to see a therapist there who uh, wasn't very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up in like Christian therapy, which was a whole thing of its own after that yeah and then just kind of like did my own thing for a while and it just wasn't as big of a part of my life so how though like I I guess that's like I know I'm not doubting that treatment wasn't helpful if that was your experience I'm just how did you go from like really like those behaviors consuming your life to being able to move away from that somewhat. Like I realize, yes, it is always a part of your life. And certainly if you haven't addressed kind of the underlying things, it'll just shift. Like it's. Yeah, I think it's hard to say. Honestly, sometimes I look back and I don't really know what changed it. I think I gained the weight and then sometimes that's kind of like the first part. And then like slowly, like the mind part changes after, like I gained the weight. I didn't love it, but I didn't die kind of thing. Like, okay, here we are now. This is what it is. And then I think looking back, I think I kind of just like shifted my focus elsewhere and like really turn. Well, it's probably, I mean, not like that this was healthy either, but then like kind of turned the validation piece to like relationships and like dating and getting that validation through like guys, I guess, um, as opposed to like controlling my body per se. So that became more like my focus as opposed to like doing the eating disorder. You, You mentioned Christian counseling. What, uh, what was that experience like? But I feel like you've had a few different ones, right? Oh, man. Yeah. The first one was the one that was like not so great. What what was not so great about it? (laughs) She was really nice, but she was very, it was almost like everything was based in like faith or my relationship with God. And so like everything was like, let's pray about it. Everything was like. I remember her doing this thing with me where she, I don't even remember what she was saying, but something like she wanted us to pray and then like she was going to be quiet and I needed to like listen for God's voice and then like tell her what he was telling me. And I was like, lady, I don't hear anything. And I was like, I don't know what to say because now like if I tell her, I don't, (laughs) I don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. What's she going to think about me? Um, and it, yeah, it was like, everything was based around that. Like, I'm unwell. Like I have like mental health problems here and like me praying about it is really not going to help the situation right now. In fact, it's actually probably fueling my anxiety more, but I mean, that was where she was coming from. And I went to like a Christian based 
place at the time. So Mm -hmm. that was what they were. But yeah, it was, it it was kind of counterproductive, I guess. Yeah. I mean, certainly based on everything we've just talked about and the ways that (laughs) anxiety and faith intersected in your life, it'd be like throwing gas on a fire. So it's, it's interesting, like you say, you know, well, I've, you know, it's my mental health. It's not, it's not like a faith thing. At what point in your life do you think you recognize like, oh, this, this thing that has happened to me or that is continuing on in my life, like this is, this is about mental illness. This isn't, yeah, this isn't like a bad choice that I'm making or whatever other way you can conceive of it. I probably didn't like have that full realization until recently, I would say, because I never really thought about it much. I just, I mean, I think I knew that some pieces of it were like a mental illness. Like I knew that I had an eating disorder and that that was what it was. I don't think I tied that to like morality or anything like that, but a lot of like the anxiety piece, I never, I never really like thought about it. It was just that's what it was. And then it's probably only like in the last couple years that I've like thought more about it or put more, like done more reading about it and just kind of like really looked into why I had these feelings and like why they were so tied to like faith for me and, and all these things and, and kind of recognizing that like that was anxiety and not Mm -hmm. like me being not good or something like that. I think I still probably struggle with like untying the two pieces because it was so ingrained, but yeah, the awareness of that is definitely more recent. Mm. Again, not surprising considering, like you said, how closely tied it all was, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's the environment you grew up in. Yeah. What treatments kind of were helpful? And I don't even mean necessarily like specific programs or anything, but like what, what is it that allowed you to build some healthiness into your life and into your thoughts and thought processes and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely still a work in progress. Um, I think for me, what works the best is like kind of more specific therapy, like I did a lot of CBT, a lot of DBT, um, which I found both to be really helpful because a lot of it is like challenging that all or nothing thinking that kind of like cognitive distortions that I have, which is funny because like I said, I feel like how I was taught about Christianity was like all of those things were present. It was like this or that, and there was no room for um, one big thing with DBT is it's not, and it's, uh, or sorry, it's not, or it's, and like, Mm -hmm. it's not this or that it's this and this, I can be good and make mistakes. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't part of what I learned of Mm -hmm. Christianity. And so for me, that work has been really important in, you know, opening up multiple possibilities Mm-hmm. of things and not having to be so rigid um and thinking one way or the other and and um yeah doing a lot of that work and a lot of of work of just being uncomfortable because it's okay to be uncomfortable and i think i didn't think that it was because it meant some kind of 
moral failing on my part, hmm. um, but it's a natural human response right. is just to be uncomfortable sometimes. Can you give an example? Because there, I think there is a big difference between anxiety and uncomfortable. So what, what is an example of you learning to be uncomfortable with something, but it not being anxious? I mean, for me, it's kind of hard to tease the two out, but like, I guess even the things that I am anxious about that aren't based in anything like real. So for example, like if I, I'm going to go back to like the eating examples, if I eat something and I'm like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have eaten that. Like now I'm worried that like, I'm going to gain weight. I feel really, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable about the fact that like, this is what I did really just like sitting with my discomfort and being like, yeah, I'm going to feel uncomfortable because that's what I like. I have anxiety. So mm-hmm. we're just going to sit here. We're going to be uncomfortable and probably in like 15 minutes, it's going to dissipate or maybe half an hour or an hour, but like it will move forward and just being uncomfortable and not letting it uh, consume me as like, I've done something or like, this is me being bad. So, you know, if I was anxious about something and thinking instead in the past, like, I'm not a good person. Like, I'm worried that you know, I did this and it was wrong. It's like, mm. I'm uncomfortable right now and that's okay. Cause like, I'm going to be uncomfortable. Everybody is at times. So I, I feel like, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I, I would think that some of the behaviors in an eating disorder are directly tied to getting rid of that anxiety, right? Like mm-hmm. you eat something and you're anxious about gaining weight. And so you go and exercise for an hour right. and that's, that alleviates that. So basically like learning to be uncomfortable is also refusing to go to those things that you would normally use to leave your anxiety. Right. Yeah. So just, that's what I mean when I say like sitting in the discomfort, because if I went and did those things that would relieve it. Mm -hmm. Right. I could, I could go and, you know, wash my hands when I worried that I got germs, but like learning to be okay with being uncomfortable is a big piece of it because that's life with anxiety, life with anxiety. Um, and I could, yeah, I mean, I could go to whatever behaviors I want to, to help relieve it. I know now that ultimately it doesn't in the long run, Mm -hmm. um, do anything for me. And a lot of the behaviors are not healthy. So I don't, want to engage in them. And, and Mm. that's the process. Have you done work around what your response is to yourself when you do maybe make an unhealthy choice? Because I think I would, I would guess that there is a ton of shame around that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's probably less, less progress than other areas. Maybe we'll say, um, I think there's still, yeah, a big piece of me that is like very hard on myself, whether it be like engaging in, in unhealthy behaviors or not engaging in unhealthy behaviors. Cause I'm kind of judging myself either way. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
for me, what I have had to do with that piece of things is kind of um, look at like the bigger picture of my life and like where I want to be and, and what I want for my life and, and like accepting the things that are going to happen or have to happen to get there, if that makes sense. So I might not like, like everything that I do or don't mm-hmm. do, but um, it's all kind of moving towards one goal, I guess, and just accepting that that's part of it. Would it be fair to say it's it's a little bit similar to like addiction and somebody who's recovering from addiction and just allowing that relapse as a part of the recovery process? Like the goal is recovery, but you know that that is not going to be you're not going to choose recovery every time. Like it's just a fact of what addiction does to your brain and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's the being able to like move forward afterward quicker than I maybe previously could, because sometimes like you can definitely get in a spiral of like, oh my God, well now like it's all just thrown out, especially with like, you know, that kind of thinking Mm -hmm. that I'm already prone to is like, well, that's it. I've ruined it. We're not, you know, we're not getting anywhere now. Might as well just like throw everything out. Um, and instead like not dwelling on it and like the next day, just getting back on track and being like, Nope, that was yesterday. Like we're going to move forward, um, and do what we can today. Mm -hmm. Do you feel anxious about recovery? Does that make sense? About no. like be, being recovered or the person? Yeah, yeah. Like that there is a part of you that, uh, yeah. I used to often talk in addiction terms because that's what I'm more familiar with. But there is a sense when somebody is moving towards sobriety and out of an addiction where there is there is a pretty high level of anxiety around getting well because for lots of different things, right? But I think one of the main ones is often like as awful as drugs are, they they do work. Like they right. do, you know, the trauma and the pain or whatever, it numbs it, right? Or yeah. if you've been in addiction for so long, that's kind of just how you come to understand yourself. And you don't, you don't know who you are outside of that. And that's terrifying, right? Like as much as, so like that, I think that's what I mean about like, does recovery, is it scary for you? Is it, does it bring anxiety? Yeah, I think there are parts of it that do, um, like you talked about, I think one piece is that like my identity has been so tied up in it for so long that I really, one is that I almost don't know who I am without that. Mm -hmm. Like I, there's been periods of time where I'm like, I don't even know what I like. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I like to do because this is all I've done because it's so much energy to put into that. I don't Mm -hmm. really have time for other things. And I also, you know, feel like there's this expectation from like people in my life or that know me, let's say maybe not like close people, but people that know me of like, this is what Natasha does is how she looks. This is this. And if I don't like measure up to that, what are they going to think? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, there's definitely like the comfort piece of it. Like I do it for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It does something for me and one of the interesting things in treatment, like we've talked about is like, nothing is going to like replace that. It's just not, it's kind of like with drugs, like nothing's going to feel how that feels. Right. 
but there might be like something better, like in a different way, it's going to feel different, but in a, in a, in a better, healthier way, I guess. So like part of thinking about being recovered is like very exciting to me because I'm like, I would love to just live my life and not worry and like go about like a normal person. But there are also, yeah, I mean, those things that are scary because it's like kind of like a safety blanket you've had your whole life and you have to say goodbye to it. Yeah. And actually that was, that was one thing I was going to ask was about, it's just in my own kind of thinking and stuff, right. That even like anxiety has a purpose too. And as much as you want to be rid of it, because it would be great to not feel like this, there is a sense where it is, it's terrifying to think that you won't have anxiety because anxiety is the thing that, that saves you, that keeps you safe. Right. right? And so like, if you don't have that, you're just completely defenseless. Like what, how are you going (laughs) to like, it's, it's so bizarre, but like, it really is like anxiety is the thing that protects you. And so. Right. And I think when I think about that, even for like anxiety, eating disorder, whatever, I think that's someone with an anxiety or eating disorder mind thinking that's not a person who is like well thinking right and I think that at least for let's say like eating disorder recovery I feel like yes because I'm still I still have you know issues struggles with that the thought of being recovered has scary things to it but I think when you get there that's not, that's, it's just, it's not part of your life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So anticipating it? Yes. But when you're there, it's so not a thing for you anymore. And I feel like it would be the same with anxiety. Not that I, you know, you could just ever not have anxiety, like it's not going to just go away. Right. But I think for someone who doesn't struggle with anxiety, let's say to the same degree, or, uh, you know, as like an actual mental illness, they're going on just fine because they don't know it as Mm -hmm. like a help. They'd have never had that. Right. So I think if it were to just be gone, it would be gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that is like, so, and I've, I've used it in terms of describing different aspects of faith, but it's like, it's almost like a language that you don't know how to understand. Like when somebody talks about, you know, if somebody was to say to me, like, would you want to be free? Would you want to not have anxiety? Like there's the objective part of me that says like, yes, that would be great. But it's like, it's almost at a distance. Like I can't Mm -hmm. to conceive of a life where that is not one of the primary things. It it doesn't make sense. Like, I don't actually know how to understand a life that's outside of that. So to ask me whether or not I want that is like, it's like asking me, you know, would you like a square to be circle? Like, uh, I don't know. Is that, is that like a thing? When you think of like a healthy life, w- what does that look like for you? Um, I don't want to say like, I wouldn't have any anxiety. Cause I just like, that's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like going anywhere. I think for me, it would be like not letting it run my life, I guess. Um, and like having the skills that I need to manage it, I guess, more so. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's going to be a part of my life and Mm -hmm. that's the reality, but working to like have the right 
coping skills or like doing what I need to do to manage it in a way that it doesn't like control everything I do Mm -hmm. um, would be like in my mind, the, the healthiest life I guess I could live. Right. What kinds of things do you think that that would allow in your life though, to be, if you were able to get to that point? Like, would it change how you relate to people? Would you, do you think you'd end up doing different things? Um, I think I would probably do more things than I do now. Or I, I don't want to say do more things because I do, despite my anxieties, I do push myself a lot because that's, it's just necessary. Like there are things that I want and I've just had to like do it. But I think... I just imagine it to be like more peaceful. Like I do things, but I'm like racked with anxiety doing it. And I imagine it to be more peaceful. Like I could just go to a social event and not be like worrying, like planning out conversations in my head before I go there, just going and enjoying myself. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like those kinds of things. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's like trying to trying to describe color to somebody who's blind. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I think it's you're right. Like I don't I don't know what it would look like. It's like it's all it's an it's imagining for me. Like yeah. what might that be like? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I guess the the like beautiful thing about it though would be, you know, to to even even if it's brief, right? Like to get to that point and kind of be able to notice that would be pretty cool where it's like, Oh, I noticed, like I only planned one conversation in my head on the way here rather than 17. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it's like ebbs and flows, right? There are definitely times where I can notice that, you know, I'm managing at least certain things better Um, and then there might be times where it's, it's worse based on, you know, what's going on in my life or the level of stress, things like that. Um, worldwide pandemic. I mean, we're living in strange times. (laughs) It's true. But yeah, I think, I think there are times where you can like maybe see those glimpses or, or things like that. And it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe more important to recognize it and like acknowledge it. Hmm. Um, because obviously what with anxiety, I'm constantly focusing on like the negatives and really like amplifying those good moments, I guess, or moments where like, hey, you, you know, went and did that and you didn't freak out and you were able to manage it. Yeah. Okay. Two, two last questions. And there is no ulterior motive for asking these. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not anyways. So the first one would be if the faith was presented to five-year-old Natasha, what is a way that it could have been presented or what do you think you would have needed to hear that would have brought life rather than crippling anxiety? Yeah. I read something recently, actually, I don't even think it was necessarily, well, it might've been somewhat related to faith, but it like stood out to me so clearly because this was not something that was ever said to me. And this person was talking about how 
like they weren't accepted and you know whatever life choices they made and I think it wasn't like in Christianity and they just sort of didn't feel like accepted and they said like I just needed someone to tell me that like I was okay the way that I was like Mm -hmm. that I didn't need to be anybody else and I was just okay and loved Mm -hmm. and I feel like I feel like it's kind of said and it's almost but it's almost like it's contradicted then it's like you can you know Jesus loves you but also like don't do all these things and if you do like you're bad so I don't know how I don't know how to like how how to like relay that to someone Mm -hmm. but I I needed to be like affirmed that I was okay however I was I guess and um that I didn't need to be anybody else because like I could trust myself I don't think that that I was ever made to feel like I could trust who I am or myself or like my own judgments about like what is good and not good because it was like it has to follow what the Bible says has to follow this and like later in life obviously like not being involved in the church and things like that I'm sure there's lots of things I've done that is like oh you'd be going to hell but you know my life didn't end I didn't have some like catastrophic upset in life because I didn't follow what I was told I needed to be Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, I know me, like I know, and I, and I need to trust myself a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. That, that part of it makes a ton of sense to me. And I've talked, I have a spiritual director, which is basically just like a spiritual mentor. And I've said, and it's, it's helpful to hear you say this because it makes me feel less crazy, but like, <laughs> I feel like a part of a big part of what I've, what I learned was growing up, like you could not trust yourself that like you were always going to choose the wrong thing. And so you could never, there was no rest. Like, like, I feel like that's why you and I would always respond to every altar call because the assumption was just, you are always going to choose the wrong thing. And so yeah. So like, of course we would go, of course we would go because we needed to fix something that we couldn't even point to. It was just the operating assumption. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that like weird, again, talking to my spiritual director is like, you know, growing up, I don't think it was this phrase specifically, but it, encaps- it encapsulates a lot of what I felt was taught was, you know, the, the phrase like God, God loves you so much he won't leave you the same, like basically something like that. Right. And that like weird combo of like your love, but there's something really wrong with you that like needs to be changed. And it's like, where, like, where is the peace in that? Because you just can't, at least if you're like us, Mm -hmm. we can't let that go. Like that is the, it's the second part that we hear like, Oh, okay. Like something's wrong that needs to be fixed. Obviously I'm the one that has to fix it. So here we go. So yeah, that weird paradox of you're loved, but also there's something really wrong with you. (laughs) So yeah, it never made sense to me because it was, it was like, Jesus loves you as you are, but then also like, you need to do all these things to somehow like be okay and like go to heaven or whatever it might be. And 
that they didn't make sense together for me in my mind. Yeah. So yeah, last question then faith wise, I guess, like what, where are you at? Like, it sounds like the, the terror of the rapture still, still looms large. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about this because I'm like, I don't even know how I would describe. I think, I don't think I would necessarily like call myself a Christian at this point. I don't think I almost like, don't know, I guess where I am or what I believe at this point it's kind of like a work in progress. I, one thing that has always been like a constant for me, which also made me feel like I was like not a good Christian was that I like very inquisitive, as you know, as a child. And I like constantly was like, but what, what about this? And I think I still have that. And so I have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely think I still have a connection to God and I don't know if I think I'm at a place where I don't know if it's because that's what I believe or because that's what I was told to believe for so long. Um, And I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's so many like pieces of what I was taught growing up mixed with like what I'm learning now and me trying to, I guess, like reconcile the two to a place that I can be comfortable with mm-hmm. and be like true to me, I guess, mm-hmm. is where I'm at. Yeah. Well, if it's any encouragement, my spiritual director is quite pleased that she, what did she say? Maybe God is inviting you to, to consider that he's nothing like you thought he was. So like there you go. I Hopefully like that. that's it. Yeah. So. All right, Nat. Well, thank you. It's been like two hours of looking in, <laughs> in a blurry mirror. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. It's, I know they're not easy things to talk about. So appreciate you sending me a text outrage that I had nasty to be on the podcast. <laughs> I should have been the very first guest. I know. Kidding. I, yeah. Cool. Thank you well, for having me. Thank you. As I mentioned in the intro, today's episode was the last one of this first season. I've really enjoyed doing it, but I thought the Christmas season was a good time to take a break. I'm planning on returning in a couple of months with more stories of people who are, or were, following Jesus while living with a mental illness. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who shared their stories with me over the last few months. Paula, Jessica, Steph, Jess, Craig, Ryan, and my sister Natasha. You are all wonderful people whose courage and openness is inspiring. Thank you for trusting me with your stories. Thanks also to everyone who listened. I hope that this was helpful for you in some way and to everyone who encouraged me along the way. It means a lot to me. As I wrap up this first season, I wanted to leave you with a blessing that comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'll see you soon.